Bonsoir, mes amis. Comment ça va? Je m'appelle D. Well, this is not a French class. This is actually Devos with D, and I'm Pastor D from the Heist Church. Thanks for joining me this evening. And we are going to be talking about cliches and terms, Christian cliches and terms. And my actual title is, what did you say? This was a request by one of the viewers of Devos with D. They wanted to find out, you know, what is the meaning of some of the things that we say in the Christian community. So I'm going to be talking about those things and I'm excited to be able to do so because I'm going to tell you, I'm probably uh, one of the ones that use some of these cliches and I'm going to point myself out when the time comes. This is going to be a two-part series. It could be actually a 50-part series because there are so many cliches and terms out there, but I'm going to hit a few and let you know what's biblical, what isn't biblical, why are we saying this, and maybe we shouldn't be saying this. Also, I want to add some humor to this because we have been into uh, these past weeks series on the book of Revelations. We've been looking at some of the mysteries in the book of Revelation. And I want us to be able to laugh at ourselves a little bit. I want us to, you know, relax a little bit and look at some of the things that we're saying and maybe change the way we are saying things. Listen to this quote from Louisa May Alcott, and she's an author. She wrote the book, Little Women. She said this, I like good, strong words that mean something. So when you say something to someone else, don't you want it to mean something? Don't you want it to be worthwhile? Don't you want it to be something that will encourage and strengthen and help them to go on and run the race and fight a good fight of faith? We want to make sure we do that. What is a cliche? It is a trite phrase, an overused expression or idea. It usually expresses a popular or common thought that's lost originality, ingenuity, and impact by overuse. It's a statement that has become overly familiar or commonplace. It is a worn out figure of speech. The use of the adjective cliche dates back to the 1950s. And why are we going to even look at cliches? You said that a viewer uh, mentioned it, commented on it, and wanted to hear about more about what do these cliches mean or what do these terms in Christianity mean that people say. Um, but I think there are other reasons, and I'm going to share with you some of my reasons. Cliches can be misleading, and we don't want to lead people astray. Is what we're saying something that will help them and that we can point them back to the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture? Can these things can even teach bad theology. It means that we've taken it out of context or we have twisted it a little bit. And so it's not really what the Bible is saying. It's what we're saying or what we want it to say. It can be unexamined sentimentality. We accept these cliches and terms because sometimes we just want them to be true. But they're not even in scripture. They could be just sappy expressions that we've heard that we picked up along the way. Because a lot of times people say things that we, because we're around them all the time, we pick it up and we start saying it. But we haven't thought through what we're saying. 
It can cause a tsunami of emotional damage if it is said to the wrong person at the wrong time. So let's look at the first cliche that I want to share with you tonight. It's you can't outgive God. Well, I have to tell you, that one is not in the Bible. Nope, it's not. Sounds good, though. And it's spoken usually in relationship to money or fundraising, some kind of fundraising campaign. You know, do this and you can't outgive God. Well, sometimes it causes a poor expectation of that person getting rich. They think because they're giving to God, God might make them a millionaire. No, that's not it. That's not it. In truth, God is very generous. God is gracious. God is kind. And he will do great things in your life. And God is more generous than anybody else. He is super cool. I'm I'm telling you. He is just a cool dad. But let's look at scripture. First, let's look at Luke 6, 38. In the King James, it says, give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. And with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again. So it does say give. So God wants us to be givers. In fact, he wants us to be hilarious, hysterical givers. He wants us to give from the heart. And it will be given back to us. He said so. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says there that God, God is able to make all grace and every earthly blessing abound toward you in abundance. That you're having all sufficiency in all things. You can abound to every good work and charitable donation. So God is able to provide and put in your hand things so that you can be a generous giver. So that is in scripture. But it is not always true that if you give money, you'll get money. I can tell you one time in my life where uh, my children were small and I was in the military and at my church where I was near my duty station, there were missionaries that came to the church. And right now, you know, our church is a big supporter of missionaries. But at that time, I wanted to be a missionary, but I couldn't. I was a single mom with three children. I had been, you know, maybe divorced for two or three years. And I I listened to this couple and they sang and they talked about what they were doing on the mission field. And I only had five dollars, five dollars. And it needed to last me but I put it in the offering for them. Now you say, whoa, but I'm going to tell you, I believe that came back around. It didn't come back around soon and it didn't come back by money. God saw my heart. Later, many years later, I was on the mission field. I was able to go to Africa twice. I stayed for months there in Africa as a missionary. I was able to go to Japan I went throughout Canada. I had such great opportunities as a missionary. I am very, very thankful. I even got to go to England as a missionary. 
So God brought that back around. I believe it was him. I believe he didn't forget my sincerity that night when I gave to those missionaries. And he knew that I wanted to go on the mission field and he provided the opportunity. So you don't always, as you give money, you get money. God can do it other ways. But we always need to pray and find out, does God, how does God want me to give in this instance? Does God want me to give in this instance? We really shouldn't give beyond our means. And you said, well, you just gave beyond your means. You gave your last $5. Yeah, because I believed in my heart that God wanted me to do that. And God provided. I wasn't without after I gave that $5. It might have been a little tight. I might have had to cinch my belt a little bit because that $5 was supposed to last me out until my paycheck, but everything worked out and I ended up on the mission field later in later years. But we should not give beyond our means. So yeah, you can't out give God, but that's just a trite phrase. And we just don't want to say trite things. We want to use scripture. We want to be scripturally based. We want to have a good foundation in scripture so that we can send point people back to the Bible. And then never allow yourself to be manipulated as, you know, as it pertains to money. I've got to just say that. People get up and they say things and they, oh, it just breaks my heart. I have seen people say, we're going to lock the doors until you give so much money. You said, what, Pastor D? You've seen that? Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen people get up and say, if you give me this much money, $25 or whatever, I'll give you a prophecy. Prophecies aren't for sale. I've seen all kinds of manipulations. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated. Go to God, pray about it and find out what is your involvement in that um, fundraising campaign or whatever it is. What does God want you to do? I've even seen it where God has told me as I'm heading to church what he'd like me to give in the offering. And then I've heard the pastor get up and say, I believe someone is supposed to give a certain amount. It was the exact amount that God had said I was to give that night. So yes, God can have somebody get up and say, I know that God is saying someone is supposed to give such and such, but we don't manipulate people. Let's look at a term that is used in the Christian community a lot. And I use it. I have to say, guilty. <laughs> it's not a bad term and I'm not using it in a bad way, but I, it's the term hallelujah. And if anybody has ever gone to the symphony at Christmas time and heard Handel's Messiah, where they do the hallelujah chorus, well, you hear it a lot. But let's find out a little bit about that term hallelujah. We say it in church. Sometimes I even say it during Devils with D. Well, I say hallelujah. In the Hebrew, it means praise Yah or shine with Yah. Let's look at that word, hallelujah, and break it down. Hallel means to praise. Yah, because they don't have the letter J in the Hebrew. So it's Yah, and it's the shortened name of the Lord. It is also rendered Praise ye the Lord or praise the Lord. In the Old Testament, it's only in the book of Psalm. It's a call to praise. In the New Testament, the Greek form is Alleluia, and you only find that in the book of Revelation. It is a call to live and die in the spirit of Hallelujah. Wow, that's so great. 
There should be, because of the Holy Spirit in you, a flow of praise, worship, and thanksgiving to God every day. Every day. So we live and we die in the spirit of hallelujah. Listen to this quote. Words which do not give the light of Christ increase the darkness. Mother Teresa said that. So we don't want to increase the darkness. We want to increase the light in somebody's life, the light of life, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another cliche. I don't feel led. You said, I don't think I've heard that one. I used to hear it all the time in the charismatic church that I was in. And my pastor finally put a piece of lead on his desk so that when somebody said, I don't feel led. He said, here, here's the piece of lead. You can feel lead. This term or this phrase is usually an excuse. It is a way to use God to get out of something we don't want to do. We won't always feel like participating in God's will. Moses didn't. At the burning bush, Moses made up so many excuses why he couldn't go back to Egypt and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But God didn't listen to any of those because he had an assignment for Moses. A lot of times he has an assignment for us. And we need to stop trying to come up with a bunch of excuses to get out of it. Like, I don't feel led. Just because we don't feel like it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. A lot of times, I don't feel like doing devos with D. You said, what, Pastor D? You don't. You should be glad. I am. I am thankful that my pastor would allow me to do devos with D and that God allows me to do devos with D. But if I listen to my body, if I listen to my flesh, my flesh just wants to go do what it wants to do or lay around and vegetate. But I don't listen to it because we don't need to always want to feel like it because we may not always feel like it. We're not led by our feelings, but by the spirit of God, because we are the sons of God. Listen to what Michelle Lazarek in an article said. We can discern what God wants us to do through prayer, reading his word and seeking godly counsel. Sometimes we want God to come down from heaven, don't we though, and tell us specifically what to do. But more often than not, God uses the wise counsel of his Holy Spirit and others in addition to his word to communicate his will clearly to his children. Yeah, we might want him to come down with thunder and lightning flashes and we want him to say, D, do this. No, well, he's not going to do that. And again, we're not going to always feel like it. But sometimes we just need to get off our duff and do it. Here's another cliche. And I'm going to just say right now, fiddlesticks with this one. God won't put any more on you than you can bear. I just could scream when I hear this one. I, it is such a misinterpretation of scripture. It is definitely a misreading of a Bible verse. So let's look at the verse that this is coming from. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and we're going to look at it in the ESV. And it says, no temptation has overtaken you 
that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen to Robert or Roger Upton. He said this in an article, Misused Bible Verses. Listen to this. This verse is couched in the middle of Paul's discussion of Israel's problem with idolatry. The temptation spoken of was a tendency to abandon God for other things. So it is clear that the escape is from sin, not a stressful job, unpayable bills, or bad relationships. Hmm. Something to make us ponder. God will not put any more on you than you can bear. Hmm. I'm going to tell you that God will allow some stuff. You said stuff? Yeah, I mean stuff. Stuff that you don't want. He will allow some stuff. And it is to mold. And and, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to have to say this word. To crush us. Not to kill us. To mold and to crush us. Sometimes we have to walk through tough circumstances. Sometimes we have pain in our body. We just have to walk through it. Sometimes we have injuries. We have to allow God to help us to recover. We have to walk through it. He may not instantaneously heal us. We don't just, you know, recover instantaneously. Can God do that? Yes, he can. Has he done it? Yes, he has. I've seen him do it in my life and he's done it in other people's lives. I've seen people delivered from cancer. I've seen people's legs grow out. I've seen people, I just seen things happen. I know God can do things instantaneously. Somebody can get up and walk who couldn't walk before. Somebody can no longer need crutches who needed crutches all their lives. So God, yes, God can do it instantaneously. But sometimes he will walk through it with us and we just have to endure to the end. God is not Superman. I know that the creators the original creators of Superman patterned him after the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is not Superman. Superman may have been after Jesus, but Jesus is not Superman. He is not going to swoop in every time something goes on in our lives and get us out of it and then swoop out. No, that isn't the way it happens. God will help us. Things happen in life. We live in a perverse world. So things are going to happen. Our bodies age. We don't have that body that they had in the Garden of Eden before the fall. But we will have an immortal body eventually. So God is not Superman. Yet God is a deliverer. Listen to Psalm 68:19 in the NIV. It says this. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. God will be with us. He'll lift us up. He will help us through. He will walk with us all the way. We can expect our God to help us. We can expect that. Listen to this note that I saw from a Christian blogger. It said this, God often gives us more than we can handle. 
He puts us through situations at times so unbearable, it makes us cry out to him. Paul was beaten, persecuted, and thrown in jail. And it was for his faith that these things happened. David, after losing his son, cried out to the Lord in despair. God wants us to run to him in those times of trouble. If we weren't in over our heads, drowning in our circumstances, will we ever come to him in our time of need? Whoa, that makes us take a few steps back. Would we, would God, if everything was perfect, maybe we wouldn't go to God. I hate to think about that, but that could happen. Yet he is always with us during those times of trouble. So yes, God will let some stuff I don't know what stuff is going on in your life that you said, why hasn't God gotten rid of this? But God is using it to mold us, to shape us, sometimes to crush us, to get rid of the pride. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you, let you alone there. Let's move on. This is my last quote, and I'm going to share this with you, and then I'm out of here. But I hope you got something out of this. And I hope you're thinking about, what am I saying? Am I saying things that are scriptural or I'm just making up stuff? This is from Thomas Fuller. If I speak what is false, I must answer for it. If truth, if it will answer for me, truth will answer for us. So let's study the truth, which is the Bible. Let's study that truth so that we can speak the truth in love. Well, thank you again for being with me tonight. I hope you have fun listening to this. And I, I hope it makes you think and ask yourself questions. Because, you know, we need to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. What are we doing? I love you. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks and praise for tonight's lesson. I just ask that, Lord, you will show us. You have the Holy Spirit uh, jack us up. If we're not saying things that are appropriate or we're saying things that are incorrect, Lord, I hope that you will throw up a flag and lead us in the way that we should go so that we will know what to say to minister to others, to help others, to be there for others. And we just give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.